from the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas. It's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. I'm your host, Brian Parker. Joining me today is Andre Sutton. Andre was on the Fleet Executive Committee in contract negotiations with American Airlines. He's also one of the TW International Vice Presidents, and he's the TW Local 502 President. Thanks for joining me today, Andre. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about this agreement. I know we could talk all day. It's drastically different than what we've had in the past, so we won't cover everything, but I'd like to, if we could, touch on some of the things that I think our members have a lot of questions about. Okay. You've provided me with an index of the articles, so let's just start with Article 3, Effective Date and Duration. Yes, this is designed to be a five-year deal. From the date of signing to the amendable date will be five years in total. And from that point on, the contract language stays in place until we renegotiate something different. Okay, and then let's skip down to Article 6, which in our previous book was overtime, but now it's going to be recognition and scope. Yeah, scope was one of the last articles that we were able to get to an agreement on. Uh, We just recently put the language to writing, but what it does, it gives us protections both for the job and for the stations and for the status in which people are currently under. We ended up going from 18 cities that, that we're in today to 45. And these are 45 protected cities. The difference between the 45 stations is 25 are going to be class one stations in which we own all of the work in those locations. Class two cities, there's 20 of them. We own core fleet service work in those cities and we can be directed to do more by company's direction or work that is not done by us can be vendored out. Okay, now you said class one and class two. What happens if a class two station uh, moves up to a class one station? So when that happens, it reaches 175 weekly departures. It becomes a class one and can never be reclassified to a class two. To take it just a step further, if you have an additional class one locations, and let's just say the company ceased operations in one of these 45 stations, We have language that now gives us like or similar stations that can be brought in to take the place of the stations that operations ceased out of. So we'll always have that same number of protected locations. So we'll never go below 45. Correct. Okay, next, uh, talk about classifications and qualifications. Yeah, so in class and quals, we're dealing with crew chief, then you have ramp agent, then you're going to have the control center, and then you're going to have CLP. And in all of these different groups, these work groups, you're going to have a crew chief, and then you're going to have the agent in all of these classifications. So what we did was in class and quals identified what the work is that the crew chief is supposed to do and what the work is that the agent is supposed to do. And that's primarily all that that article is about, identifying what our roles are. Okay, thanks for that. Um, Next, let's talk about transfers and promotions. So, yeah, transfers and promotions is very similar to what we do today. Uh, There's some misconception that people in station get super seniority. 
but that is not what the language is saying. What it is saying is that we do a station realignment when a position becomes available. For example, if we had a full-time position in Los Angeles becomes available, everyone in station has an opportunity to bid on that position. And then ultimately, the position that the successful bidder vacates is the one that goes out to the system. So anyone that is on a system transfer list is able to, by seniority, get that position. So it's not like part-timers in the station get to bump up to full-time when you have more senior full-timers in the system trying to come into the station. All we're doing is shuffling the different duty assignments that are in the location. That same one full-time position is the one that goes out to the system. Okay, uh, stay in there. Let me ask you a question. So I work in DFW, and let's say I go to one of the new stations. Yes. And I'm station protected here at DFW. What happens to it? Would I have any protection when I got to the new station? Yeah, so we have language that allows you to now transfer to the new station. And now you carry that protection that you have in DFW to the new station, and it applies there. You will not have that station protection in DFW anymore. Okay, so you, I would lose it in D, at DFW, but I would pick it up in the new station, then I would... That's correct. Okay. What about reduction in force, uh, recall, and voluntary furlough? We were able to do some major enhancement there. We all know that in the past that we had to fill vacancies in the system when there was a reduction in force. The language now gives us the ability to transfer with seniority. So you can exercise your seniority fully throughout the whole entire system. So anywhere you want to go, as long as your seniority could hold, you could transfer there. You can bump into that location. Okay, this next one's, uh, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of concerns about shift trades slash swaps. Okay. What people are familiar with or comfortable with now is a is company policy, and that's the CS policy. And we all know that over the 34 years that I've been around that, the company has modified that policy because company-owned policies. Now we've put this language in the contract. So it has language that if there needs to be changes, it has to be negotiated. It allows you, under the contractual language, the ability to take 64 days off in a six-month period. It gives you flexibility that if you wanted to just swap a shift, meaning you work for a guy in the morning because you have an evening shift, and then he works for you because you're doing a, a swap. It's a net zero. It doesn't count against your 64. The 64 is designed to allow people to take time off from work in a certain amount of time and give you the flexibility to do other things that you might want to do. It does, to me, make things a little more fair and equitable for just about everyone that's on property because we're all exercising this language under the same premise and therefore it's equal. Okay, so it's not the big bad boogeyman a lot of people thought it was? Yeah, I think, you know, once people actually have the language, the finalized language, I know that there was some stuff that was put out on JetNet, and a lot of times that was geared toward moving people to a point where they wanted to force a vote early. And the final product, though, just recently was signed off on. So until folks actually have the language in front of them and they read it, I think they get a better and more clear understanding what the intent is. And it's not to harm anybody. It's, it's basically making it fair for anyone that wants to either pick up, people that want to take time off, and the amount of time that they're allowed to uh, exercise that flexibility. 
Well, you bring a, up a good point on that one. You know, once everyone gets the language, they should really hold their opinions till they get the language. Would you agree with that? Till they see it and they read it and they, yeah. and get some questions answered? Yeah, definitely. Because, see, what I try to do in, in Los Angeles, for instance, if guys have legitimate questions, I mean, they're not emotional about what they think they know, and they have a legitimate question, we walk through that process and get them to answer, and they walk away saying, wow, there's nothing that I thought it was. And and I think that's going to be key in having the language put out in full text to everyone. That way they can look at it, things that matter most to them, and they can make decisions based off of how language affects their, their, their personal life. Okay, well, let's move on uh, with the articles. Let's go next to uh, compensation. Compensation. That was basically to get us in line with the industry and bring us up. And I know that there was some disparity, if you will, from the views of some folks that says, why didn't we have a level set across the board? And that would have priced fleet service out of the market. So what we had to do was break things down individually in work groups and what was the industry paying at the time? And in order for us to be the industry leading, we had to be either there or above that. And what we found was there were some work groups that were very underpaid, and therefore when the increase came, they had a larger increase than others. And ours was about 4.8% behind Delta. And so that was the target. And again, uh, there are some, like for instance, M&R, they have a lot of work groups that did not get the same pay increases and that had of, uh, you know, some point of contention until people understood exactly how we came about getting to those numbers. And again, those numbers are what the industry is allowing. So we had to match that and then try to increase it just just a bit. Okay. And uh, we did get shift differentials uh, back, correct? Yeah, we did get shift differentials back. No longer one, two, and three cents. We are now going to be 51, 58, and 61 cents. Okay. Let's uh, talk about overtime next, if you will, and, and what that article looks like. Okay. So the way overtime is structured is slightly different than what TW has historically been accustomed to. There's going to be a crew chief overtime availability list, as well as a fleet service for full-time and for part-time. Now, there was a misconception that crew chiefs can only put their names on the list for overtime just for crew chiefs, and that's not true. You can put your name on the list for any overtime hours. It's just that when you change your classification, you then go at, say, the bottom of the list for your full-time and for the part-timer. So we want to exhaust all of the folks that are trying to get overtime in those classifications first. And if there's serious need, it always funnel down. But in reverse, if you're a crew chief, you put yourself on the availability list for crew chief overtime. A clerk can do the same thing. That They just have to be qualified. So they fall at the bottom of that list. So once everything has been exhausted on the full-time list, if there's clerks that are D1 status, they would end up getting that overtime as well. I did have an opportunity to look over some of the overtime language, and uh, there's a lot of ways for firms to make a lot of money. Yeah, so again, once they see the language, and this is true of just about anything that's new, once you evaluate it, then you're able to figure out what works best for you. Because again, we will be the best paid fleet service in the industry, and with this new contract language, it now allows us to capitalize on a lot of ways to earn more money. 
what I've been telling folks, for folks that work a lot of hours today, they'll be able to make the same or more money without working as much. So that gives you more opportunities to spend time with your families without losing any money to meet the obligations that you may have. So again, once folks see the language, they'll be able to better understand what works best for them. And there's a lot of good in it. Okay, next, uh, I know we picked up some days on holidays. Expand on that and uh, holiday pay and such. Yeah, so we gained five additional holidays. We now have language that allows us to be paid on the holiday, even if the holiday falls on your vacation or your day off. That's something that we didn't have before. Going through concessionary bargaining and bankruptcy, you had to physically be at work to earn that time and a half. Now, if you work the holiday, it's double time and a half. If you're on day off or vacation, you get eight hours of straight time added to your weekly pay. So you're looking at 48 hours for a guy that's on regular days, regular days off. A guy that's on vacation, he's getting his eight hours of vacation and he's also getting eight hours of straight holiday pay. So he basically gets a, a double time day while on vacation. So again, that's something that we never have experienced oh, since 2003 after concessionary bargaining. So I'd also like to add that under this overtime language and how it's applied on a holiday, if you're on your day off, you are now getting, say you're a full-time, you get eight hours of straight time pay on your day off, but you signed up for day off overtime and they called you in. So once you come in, you're paid at a time and a half rate. So you take the time and a half rate plus your eight straight. Now you're at double time and a half. Now, if the company keeps you, say an additional eight hours, the next available rate of overtime is double time. So then you take that double time rate for the additional eight hours and then another eight hours of straight pay for working on the holiday. Match that, that becomes triple time. So that's something, again, that we didn't have in the past. I will elaborate a little further. First day off, second day off. If you come in to work on your first day off, that's time and a half rates. Even if you work just four hours, your second day now qualifies you for double time rates for overtime. So again, you cannot be bypassed. Even if you uh, are in your double time rate, it's all based off of your overtime hours. So if you're lowest in hours, no one can skip you to avoid paying the double time rate. They have to go to the person in the slowest in hours. We have that language in overtime as well. That's good. That's definitely an enhancement. Vacations. So vacations, we were able to go up to six weeks. Some of the folks that are eligible, uh, they're going to get a lump sum for a one week of pay for that six week. Once we have the contract ratified, we're also working through the implementation of when that's supposed to happen. And we're working on the implementation for the whole entire contract. Some things can be done relatively quickly. Some things have to be over a period of time. So we want to get that out to the folks as soon as we can, along with the, uh, the full text TA, so people can really get a good understanding about what ultimately they're going to be voting on. Okay. Now, like I said at the beginning, we could talk all day and we could go into, into great detail yeah. on this, but uh, I know you're busy and I know you're pressed for time. If I could get you to speak on one more thing before you go okay. is uh, benefits. With benefits, 
There's a lot of things that are going on. In fact, we're trying to finalize the language even now. We have agreement in principle. We're just putting that language in writing. So some folks have an opinion that we're still not in parity. The idea that the union had throughout negotiation was to have all medical options as an option for all members. Then as we went through this contract negotiations and started getting closer and closer to an end, we looked at what could be feasible. And we're not a union that believes in taking anything from other union members. Uh, the truth about the matter is the IEM had purchased their medical plans through two bankruptcies. And the sole purpose that it was even in question now was because the, the company wanted to have one basic medical plan on property for everyone. So we were able to move forward in a way that eventually gets us closer and closer to being in parity. Some things cannot happen overnight. There is a process, but there is differences in, in the plans. And again, once we get the language out there, people will be able to see and understand a little bit more about how we got to where we were and, and probably get a better understanding of why things are the way they are. Well, Andre, I know that you and many others, uh, both TW and IM negotiators, put in a lot of time and effort to try to get us to where we were. I believe that uh, you would probably agree with me. You didn't get everything you wanted, but you certainly, from the looks of it and from what I've seen, there's there's been a lot of great gains. So I will, from me to you, I want to say thank you for all the work you've put in. I appreciate that. Because in negotiation, no one gets everything that they want because that's just how negotiations is. You give a little... You take a little. It's back and forth, back and forth. But in the end, you come up with something that everyone in the room can feel comfortable with, both sides. Then you put that into action. It was a long process, but we kind of knew that going into it because we felt it was important to deliver something that the members, not only we could stand in front of, but the members can feel proud about. And our intention was to have a contract that would have voters coming out on it at 80% or higher. We didn't want anything that was just going to squeak by because that tells us that it really wasn't that good of a job. But again, if the members get the language, when they get the language, take the time to go through it, they'll see that there's so many advantages and so many enhancements that it's really hard to go and say, this is not the best contract in the industry. Uh, we didn't get all the things that we wanted. This is true. But the things that we did get, we knocked out of the park. And I think uh, once people have that opportunity to digest what's out there, I think they'll feel the same way. They'll feel very good about it. Well, I know on the TW side, for sure, we picked up a lot of work. Yes, we did. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, hopefully this wasn't too painful for you. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Before we go, is there anything else that, you know, that I didn't touch on or anything or didn't speak about that you'd like to get out there? Well, no, I think uh, when you said that we could probably talk about this all day long, we, we really could. But one thing I will, in, in parting, I'd say that once you have the full text proposal in front of you, I want you to go through it, review it, ask yourself some of the most serious questions that you can ever ask and ask your, answer yourself honestly, because in the end, you're going to vote your conscience. And I want people to understand that there are things in there that I felt that we could have, if we stuck in there a little bit longer, probably could have got a little bit more. But it does not take account for what's going on in the world. Economic downturn could be right around the corner. We don't know. We could potentially go to war. I don't know. But 
if you take the time to evaluate the full text proposal and then you take out of it what makes more sense to you, I think you'll get to a yes vote rather than a no vote. Well, I appreciate your time, Andre. Uh, again, thank you for all the work that you and, and others have done on our behalf. And uh, with that, we're going to close it. I thank everyone for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at TWU.org forward slash divisions. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.